our title tonight is Warning. That will be our study. And uh, sometimes, I guess, a, a title, uh, you get a, a, an example or a story to help right before you walk up to preach. And so as I look down to cut on the lapel, uh, I got a red light, which means the battery's about to die. So that was my warning not to use the lapel tonight. So I guess that's appropriate since that's the title of our lesson. Uh, I had left it on this morning when I got done, so I can only blame myself for having dead batteries. But um, anyway, open your Bibles up. Hopefully they're still open to the book of Second John. Two weeks ago, I believe it was, we were the youth were gone, uh, but Adam began a study on the book of Second John and uh, covered the first six verses. Is that right? Okay, first six verses of of Second John, and I guess right now is the best time to be asking that question too, isn't it? Um, so we'll finish up the book of Second John this evening, and um, hopefully uh, take something away from this lesson as we move through the book of Second John, starting in verse seven. I think that we see three warnings to end the book of Second John. We see a warning to three different people or three different groups of people. And so as we move through the end of this book, we're going to look at those three warnings and, and hopefully see a message that was written many years ago, but it's also still applicable today. Starting in verse 7, let's read together and let's see our first warning. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. You see, as I read this, to me, the first warning here could be applied to the deceiver, to the false teacher. And before we really get into the study, I want us to establish something um, that I think we need to look at before we really move any further. When we think today about false teachers, we probably don't hear that word the same that a first century Christian would have heard it. Um, we're not surrounded by Greeks who teach polytheism. We're not surrounded necessarily by those who teach that maybe Jesus has already returned or that there will be no second coming. That's not really a rampant teaching where we live today. But my question to you this evening, before we look at the thought of false teachers is, are we still surrounded by false teachers? And I think the answer to that question is absolutely yes. They look different today than they did. They come in different shapes and sizes than maybe what we read about in New Testament times. But I think we have just as many false teachers today. Because you see, to me, a false teacher is someone who has convinced you that their way is more important than God's. And so when I look around the world today, I see false teachers on television. I see false teachers in, not to get too political, but in politicians. I see false teachers in entertainment. I see false teachers in hobbies. False teachers can come in many different forms. 
And I think we have the same danger of obeying those false teachers today as these men that we read about did during this time. And so the first warning is to the false teacher. Verse 7 reminds us that the false teacher that's being written about here is the one that does not confess the coming of Christ. He's called a deceiver and the antichrist. We've heard a lot about, or you've probably read a lot about who is or what is the antichrist. I think the Bible clearly teaches anyone who is against Christ is an antichrist. The word itself kind of tells us what it's talking about there. And so, when we look around our world today, do you ever see someone who is against Christ? Probably each and every day. And so we need to ask ourselves, have we ever been against Christ? Have you ever been at work and somebody asks you a question and the response you gave them was not a Christian response. Have you ever been on a trip with other individuals and visited places that you know a Christian shouldn't visit? Have you ever made a decision to put God second or third or fourth in your life? That's being against Christ. That's being a false teacher. When your children come home at night and they've been in school all day, do you still take time to share God's Word with them? When your children want to go somewhere and you know that it's going to cause them to miss worshiping God, what decision do you make as a parent? Is it a a decision that shows that your house is one that serves God or that serves the pleasures of this world. We need to think very carefully about that. We need to think very carefully about the example that we set in our homes, the example that we give our children today, because that example that we give our children today will be the example that they live with in their life when they leave our homes. What are we instilling in our children today that they'll take with them for the rest of their life? I had a phone call. This is not from a member of Ninth Avenue, but uh, recently I I had a phone call from a parent. And that parent was just sharing some information with me, nothing even related really to one of our events here. But that parent said that their child had made the decision to skip a sporting event because they so looked forward to a youth event that they were going to be attending pretty soon. And I said, I wish we could share that with the world the way other things get shared. I'm not here to say that we can't have hobbies, that we can't have interest. I, I have probably as many as anybody. But wouldn't it be great to live in a world where children made that decision by themselves? You see, knowing that family, I think that child made that decision because that's the decision that a parent would have made in that home. I think that child has learned exactly what it means to put God first in their life. What if we lived in a world where today 20,000 people stood in line not to see a politician, 
but to worship God. In the great state of Alabama, that's exactly what happened. We saw people lined up on, on, if you've watched the news, people were lined up to see a certain politician speak. A politician that will be complained about by most of those people in attendance. And yet, who lines up to worship God? Where are our priorities? I've said this before from the pulpit, but, but I think it bears repeating. We so often complain when politicians take God out of schools. We often complain when God is taken out of our nation. But I'm afraid that sometimes we've voluntarily taken God out of our homes. And that's where the true problem lies. If God's in your home, it doesn't matter what your child learns about when they walk into a school building or a federal building because they'll still get taught everything they need to be taught about God when they walk through the doors of your house. You have a lot more influence on your child than anybody else they'll ever meet. Who better to teach them the Word of God? Are we deceiving ourselves? Because I promise we're not deceiving God. He knows what happens in our homes. What example are we setting for our children today? The second warning that we find in the book of Second John is to the followers... Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. You see, we have to be on guard for those false teachers. All of those things that we just discussed, if we're not prepared, if we don't have our shields up, if we have not studied God's Word, when those false teachers knock on our doors, when those opportunities come, we're not going to be ready. But we as followers can be prepared. If we spend time in God's word, if we have a home that puts God first, then when our children are faced with a decision, they'll make the decision, as that young person did that I was talking about a minute ago. And you won't have to force your child, because they'll make the decision all by themselves. Are our children going to make the perfect decision every time? No. Are we as parents going to make the perfect decision every time? No. But when we study God's Word, when we put God first, when we spend time obeying the Word of God, we're going to see those temptations coming ahead of time. And we're going to be on guard. And we're going to be prepared to make a decision that a Christian should make. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have. And we ask ourselves, but how can we see temptation coming? How can I know that I'm going to have to face something in the future? If you will, real quick, open your Bibles to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, chapter 13. As Jesus was sharing the message, a brand new message... In the very beginning, there were warnings. You see, Jesus not only told his followers what they needed to hear, but he told them what was going to happen in the future. Verse 5, And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Verse 9, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. 
Verse 22, for false Christ and false prophets will arise. They will perform signs and wonders to lead you astray. Verse 23, but be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. Verse 32, but concerning that day, verse 33, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. You see here, in just one chapter, as we see it today of a book, there's five warnings from Jesus that we have to be vigilant, we have to be on watch, we have to be on guard. You see, it shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone that things will try to trip us up in our life. Because the moment God gave us hope, He gave us a warning. Be watchful. Be vigilant. Watch yourselves. Watch out. Be on guard. Warning. If it was in flashing lights, I don't think it could be any plainer for us to see. People are trying to tear us down as Christians all the time. How can you believe in a fairy tale that's been around for years? Why do you put so much trust in God? Why would you do the things that you do? People are going to try to convince us for the rest of our lives that what we do makes no sense. And then there will come that day, that hour when we don't know when it will happen, but we stand before the judgment seat of God. And the truth will be told. The truth will be known. Everything that we know will come to sight. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. You see, that's what I find so amazing about God's Word. We, His followers have chosen to confess his name. We're proud to confess his name. Every person who's ever walked this earth will confess the name of Christ. The difference is some will do it voluntarily and some will do it when it's too late. The third warning that we see, starting in verse 9 through verse 11, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in his teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. I think this is a warning to us as a group, to his children, to his church. Because you see, how quickly can information spread within a congregation? We see it so often. One person gets some news and in a minute, everyone knows. And everyone believes that first thing that they've heard. How quickly does information spread? And so when we as a congregation are watchful, when we're prepared, we don't let that false teaching ever begin. 
And so, once again, we see one of the important roles of an elder. They are our overseers. They are our shepherds. They are watchful. They watch over us. When they know what's being taught from the pulpit, when they know what's being taught in the classrooms during Bible class, when they know where our young people are going, when they know what's going on in the church, which we're so fortunate to see here at Ninth Avenue, those falsehoods don't ever walk through the door. Or if they do walk through the door, we're prepared. Unfortunately, we've seen the world around us fall into the teachings of some of these false teachers. And just as Matthew chapter 7 teaches, there are those who believe that they're following Christ. But on that day, God's going to say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. But God, we, we did things. We, we followed. We taught. Depart from me. I never knew you. That's how powerful a false teacher can be. We have to be on guard. We have to be watchful. We have to be prepared so that we don't fall into the trap that so many fall into. As we conclude this evening, this may not be a lesson that you're sitting there tonight and you're hearing and you're saying, you know what, I'm not a false teacher. I don't have anything to worry about. I'm here, I'm active. This lesson's not really for me. But let me ask you a question. What in your life is your biggest temptation? What in your life is your biggest false teacher? You see, I can't sit up here and read a list because probably for each and every one of us it's something different. How effective is that false teacher in your life? And so tonight is my, or not my word of warning, as an inspired word of warning from God, beware, watch out, false teachers will come, be prepared. Maybe you're sitting there tonight and you've really started to think about it and you've realized that maybe as a family there's something that's made its way into your house that could become a false teacher. Maybe your family has made decisions and you think, you know what, Right now, they're not terrible, but I can see where they might lead us down the wrong path one day. Let's get rid of them now. Let's get rid of those idols before it's too late. Before we begin to worship those idols, let's go ahead and get them out of the house. Or maybe tonight, you're sitting there and and the false teacher has been teaching you that you can make it to heaven without obeying the gospel. That God's grace is sufficient. That you serve and you love God. And you know that that, or you think that's enough. Maybe that's the false teaching that has entered your mind. The Bible clearly teaches that unless we repent and submit to God in baptism, 
that heaven will never be our home. Maybe tonight you're ready to do away with that false teaching. You're ready to obey what God has told us to do. You're ready to heed the warning that he's given us. You're ready to submit to him in baptism. Whatever your need may be, let us all take the warning signs and let us all enter the world tomorrow prepared and vigilant to always do the will of God no matter what the cost. God's going to be first in my life no matter what I have to sacrifice. As was said many, many times, choose this day who you will serve. Will your household serve the Lord? Where is God in your life? What does God mean to you? Are you prepared to face God? Are you ready to confess his name here before that day of judgment? Put God first in your life. Or prepare yourself to keep God first in your life. Whatever your situation may be, if we can help you put God first in your life or put God back first in your life, we want to do so. We want to encourage you and we want to help you make that happen. We don't want to watch you do it by yourself. We want to be a part of it because that's what family does and that's what we are here at Ninth Avenue. If we can help you do that in any way, shape, or form, don't hesitate. Come forward right now while together we stand and while we sing.